you have your Bibles open, if you could turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 with me, please. Amen. Once you're there, if you could just give me an amen so that I could make sure everyone is there with me. John chapter 1. Praise God. Are we there? Anyone there? There you go. Amen. Today's message, I, I wanted to call it, and if you're writing notes, write this down. It's titled, Set the Stage. Set the Stage. And if you could write that down in your notes, it's, um, it's a message of an individual that I looked into um, years back. A message where I was able to kind of study this individual. Phil, in the men's meeting yesterday, said something that reminded me of our, of our message for today. He talked about, um, you know, he's like, when, when you say um, which man in the Bible, which character, for the ladies that are here, because I don't really expect you to think you're like one of the men in the Bible. There's a lot of great women in the Bible too. All the ladies say amen. But um, he said something like this. He said, um, when you think about the men in the Bible, which man in the Bible, which character in the Bible do you most resemble? Or is most like you or you're most like them. And, you know, I thought about that because the person that I'm speaking about today is someone that we don't necessarily ever categorize ourselves with. Uh, it's not someone that we say, I want to be like this dude. This is the guy I want to be like. It's not someone that we normally do that. You know, normally if you ask me, well, which person in the Bible do you want to be like? I'll be like, I want to be like Paul. And I want to, you know, mighty man. I want to be like David, a man after God's own heart. Like Moses, a leader like Moses. Or how about like Joshua, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? And we started mentioning all these famous names and all these known characters. I mean, last week we learned about one dude that no one really knew about. One of David's mighty men, which was pretty cool to hear about someone else in the Bible. And today... Uh, I'm going to talk about someone else that's not David, that's not Paul, that's not Joshua, that, that's not Moses, that's not Elijah, uh, that, is, that is not none of these. And, 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 and I hope you're blessed by it today as we kind of just teach on this guy. You know, as I titled the message, Set the Stage, what I'm talking about is an individual who prepares a way or sets the stage is why I named it that. Because if you think about it, ever... Since the beginning of the Bible, we see people that have been setting the stage for someone or for something. Um, you see it even in the Old Testament how, let's just use Moses, one of our favorite characters here. Moses was setting the stage and he, he frees the people out of Egypt, out of exile. And he takes them to the wilderness and he's heading to a place called the promised land. And as he's trying to get to this place, he doesn't make it. But God says, I'll let you see it. I feel bad for you. He puts him up on a mountain. He says, you see it? He's like, oh, I just want to go there. So bad. God's like, nah, you're going to die tomorrow. He's not going to get there. He's like, that kind of sucks. And he dies. And then Joshua takes over charge. And then Joshua leads the people to the promised land. But watch that. It's pretty cool because Moses set the stage for Joshua. It's pretty cool. And all through scripture, you could talk about the prophets and and all these individuals in scriptures, and you could talk about the law and, and all these great things that were given and said and, and done. And what were they setting the stage for? Well, they were setting the stage for what was going to become of Israel and what this mighty nation, their faith, their belief, and what they stand on to today, what they're deeply rooted in from all these prophets and laws that were given to them years and years back. They were set, to, it was set the stage was set for them. I mean, just think about that. You look in the New Testament, you think of individuals like, like John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist was setting the stage. I mean, that dude was just crazy. He was eating grasshoppers. The other day I saw a roach in my classroom. I almost went crazy. I can't even imagine eating a grasshopper. Okay? Okay, eating grasshoppers and hanging out in these biblical campaigns. And these campaigns they were not in your nicest buildings. Actually, they were in the wilderness. Pretty weird place to have revival campaigns, if you ask me. And he goes to these revival campaigns, and he's baptizing people, and he's telling people to repent. And it gets so famous, he, he blows up so much that people start asking, well, who is this guy? So the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem send some of their, the rulers to the wilderness where he's having one of these campaigns and says, hey, we have some questions for you. And John the Baptist is like, well, what is it? And they said, we, we need to go back to Jerusalem. And some of our leaders have asked us to go back with an answer of this question, and the question is, who are you? And I love John the Baptist's response because I, I always tell people this, that was his chance to blow up. Like that was his chance to name ministries, John the Baptist Ministries, www.johnthebaptistministries. That was a time where they would put up big, uh, uh, um, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Those, when you drive down and, and those big billboards of, and the pastor's face, I'm John the Baptist, come to our next wilderness crusade. It's like, where's Jesus on that billboard? You ever seen those guys? But that was his time to blow up. I, I'm John the Baptist. You haven't heard of me? Come over here. Watch me preach. I'm pretty good. Watch how I baptize people. Want to see me eat a grasshopper? Okay. But instead, John the Baptist doesn't do that. John the Baptist was setting the stage for something great that was going to come, for something amazing that was going to take place. He was, he, was, he, was, he was just there for a moment because there was going to be a moment that was going to come that was greater than his moment being alive. Man, I want you to get this. So, so John, who in the world are you? Like, like, who do we tell them you are? Do we say you're Elijah? Do we say that you're the Messiah? Do we say, and, and John's like, no, 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 I'm none of those guys. And he says, if you're going to say I'm anything, don't even give them my name. Don't even tell them my name. Don't even give them my last name. Don't even tell them where I'm at. Do me a favor. Tell them I'm this. I'm just a voice. And, and you could just imagine the leaders, they're, they're looking at him and they're saying, a voice. And he's like, yes, a voice. Well, what do you mean you're a voice? He says, let me explain it to you this way. I'm a voice of one that is crying out in the wilderness that people are to make straight. I'm making straight the pathway. I'm making straight the road for the coming of the Lord. I'm a voice of one that is crying to get right because he's coming soon. You can almost see the Jewish leaders like, we are so confused. What are the Pharisees, what is the Sanhedrin going to say to us when we go back to the Sanhedrin, the 70 most amazing men ever to live in Jerusalem that make up the Sanhedrin, the most intellectual men, the scholars of the law, I mean the who's of who's of Jerusalem, and we walk into the Sanhedrin office and we see the most 70 most intellectual, most powerful men in Jerusalem and say, guys, I have your answer, the crazy man that eats grasshoppers, that dress with camel hair, that does revive in the wilderness didn't give me a name he just says he's a voice you could almost see the face of the Sanhedrin what a voice that's what he told me he's just a voice what was John the Baptist doing John the Baptist was doing something so important and here it is church he was he was setting the stage are you guys with me so who am I going to speak about today? It's not John the Baptist. It's a man by the name of Andrew. 
That's what I'm talking about today. Andrew. It's funny, yesterday me and my wife were at a friend's house, true story, no lie. And they said, so what are you preaching about tomorrow in church? And I said, Andrew, and literally everyone in the kitchen looked at me and goes, Andrew. And I said, Andrew. And uh, they look, I go, I mean, I'm preaching on Jesus. Jesus is the focus, but I'm going to use Andrew as an example and as an illustration. But they didn't understand who Andrew I think that most of those Christians in that kitchen yesterday had no idea who Andrew was. That's what I think it was. They're like, Andrew. Uh, we're blessed to have an Andrew here uh, with us today, amen. Everyone say hi to Andrew today. But we're not preaching on that Andrew. We're preaching on the Andrew in the Bible. And let's jump into this if you're with me in John uh, chapter 1 as we have a good time in the word today. Just jump with me and, and let's kind of have fun here. What's happening now is the ministry of John the Baptist as I gave you somewhat of an introduction. And, and John the Baptist is ready to, to come on his decline so that Jesus could come on his incline. Uh, John the Baptist was about to go down so that Jesus could come up. We all know the story of John the Baptist, right? Gets beheaded, gets offered. Uh, yeah, let's just stop there and that's pretty disgusting. But Jesus was about to come up and take power. John the Baptist's ministry was about to end. And in verse 35 it says that John stood with two of his disciples... And looking at Jesus as he walked, look what he tells his disciples about Jesus. He says, look, behold the word of God. Yeah, that's when you answer, church. Behold the Lamb of God, verse 37. Then the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Verse 38. When Jesus turned and seeing them following, he said to the disciples, well, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say teacher. He says, well, what we want to seek is where are you staying? Where are you going? 39, he said to them, well, come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was who, guys? Underline that. It's who? There it is. That's who we're preaching on today. Andrew. And Andrew, if you did not know, because let me, you've ever been there? Who's here a younger sibling? Has an older brother, older sister? Isn't that horrible? Because how do they consider you? Dirk, what's your older brother or sister's name? Really? They named them after you? <laughs> Silk? Oh, I was like, you're Dirk and she's Silk. That's cool. Okay, what's the name? Till. Now, most of your life, you're probably like, oh, you're Till's little brother, aren't you? Imagine that. What a bar. I mean, my sister's name is Anika with a K. I don't know, she always does that whenever she says her name, so I have to say it too, but... <laughs> and my whole life growing up, I was always as, oh, that's Anika's little brother. It got to a point that one day I said, I'm Regal. Start to get to know my name. No longer Anika's little brother, man. And if you're a younger sibling, you know what I'm talking about. If you're the older sibling, you know what I'm talking about. Because you're the one that they've always considered as someone else's bigger brother or bigger sister. And here is, here is Andrew. And the Bible is introducing to us Andrew. And then look at verse, uh, the verse that um, I'm talking in 40 here. It says, and his name was Andrew. But just in case you don't know who Andrew is, his popular brother is Simon Peter. Is what the Bible tells us. I mean, even in the Bible, Andrew was being picked on. He's like, man, can't they just know me for my name? I'm in a kitchen yesterday. What are you preaching on, Andrew? Andrew. And then we're reading the Bible, and we read, and Andrew was with him. Andrew. And the Bible even tells us, yes, yeah, Simon Peter's brother. Oh, that Andrew. I get it. The popular brother was Simon Peter. You guys know what I'm talking about now. In verse 41, it says he first found Andrew. Andrew. We're talking about Andrew now. 
As soon as he hangs out with Jesus, look what happens in verse 41. He finds his own brother, Simon. If you know Simon, Simon becomes Peter. Peter is the famous Peter that we know in the Bible, the one that walked on water and all that good stuff. And he said to him, hey, Peter, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We found him. And then verse 42, it says, and he brought Peter to Jesus. Everyone understand this. He brought Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at Peter, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you now shall be called Cephas. Love this. Introduction of Andrew. Well, who is Andrew before I get into the meat of this? Andrew we see here he's the brother of Peter. He is Peter's actual younger brother, which is why the Bible says, hey, yeah, that's Simon Peter's brother. So he's a younger brother of Peter. He is the least known, known of the four disciples in the lead group. If you know anything about the disciples, there were how many disciples? Good. And within those 12 disciples, there was a lead group of disciples. Does anyone know their names? Peter, the two brothers, James and John and Andrew was always there once in a while, but Andrew was never considered one of the most famous ones. It was always Peter and James and John's. Peter, James, you read the Bible and you're like, Peter, James, John's, and the others came with Jesus. Like, what's up with that? What about the other dudes? Like, don't worry about them. Just Peter, James, and John were there. Just know that. Andrew was the least known of the four disciples in the lead group, the ones that were closest to Jesus, which includes his big brother, Peter. And the boys that he grew up, with, grew up with since he was a young lad, James and John. And you'll see why they grew up together. In John chapter 1 verses 35 through 40 as we just read, we see something special about Andrew as we're just introducing the character of Andrew to you. Because I could have asked you right now, ready? Name me five things about Andrew before I started this message. And you probably wouldn't be able to name me five. Come on, be honest. How many of you know that you would not have been able to name five? Before I studied this, I would have not have been able to name five important things about Andrew. So I'm going to give you a couple now. Andrew was the first of the disciples to be called to, by Jesus. Ain't that pretty cool? I would rag on that. I would wear a shirt that says, I'm the first that was called by Jesus, baby. And I'll be like, you might be the older brother, but I was the first one that was called. And I would always remind that to my brother, but Andrew wasn't like that. And you'll see what I'm talking about. As I just shared with you, he wasn't included in several, uh, in some of the most important events in Scripture where we see Peter and James and John together with Christ. For example, in Matthew chapter 17, something amazing happens, which is the transfiguration. You've ever heard of that? Jesus walks on a mountain, and here comes the two prophets. They walk on the mountain with Jesus, and they all freak out. They see Jesus for the first time in the glory. <gasps> And they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, Jesus is glorified. Let's make him a house. And Jesus is like, shut up. That's not what I'm here for. Well, guess what? He wasn't there. There was another one in Mark chapter 5, verse 37. There was a raising of a dead girl. Uh, Peter, James, and John was there. Andrew wasn't there. Poor guy. He missed it all, man. John, let me tell you who Andrew was. Andrew was the guy that, check this out. He stayed with the disciples. He's like, hey, have you guys seen my brother? Yeah, he left with James and John and Jesus somewhere. He's like, man, they always leave me behind. And then, Two hours later passes, they're hungry, and then here comes Peter, James, and John with Jesus in the middle, and they're all talking like they're all excited. Bro, I can't believe you raised a dead girl. I can't believe you did it. I can't believe you made that blind girl see. I can't believe you fed 5,000. Oh, my God. And, well, not he was there for that one. I can't believe you did all these great things at the transfiguration. I can't believe I actually saw Moses. I can't, I can't. And they're all pumped up, and then Andrew and the other boys are here like, that's not fair, man. They're always excited, and we never get to see any of this good stuff. And then, and then here comes Peter, James, and John with Jesus in the middle just smiling. And, and they're like, and Peter, because he loves his little brother, little brother, little brother. And he hits him in the head kind of like he does. 
He goes, you never guess what Jesus just did. He just made a, a, a dead girl raise. She, he raised up a dead girl. And Andrew all this time was like, really? And then James and John are next to Jesus like, yes, it's true. He's not lying. I know Peter lies a lot, but he's not lying this time. And then, and then you could almost see Andrew and the other disciples saying, Jesus, how come you never take me? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. I don't lie. One of the famous ones, the prayer in the garden. You guys remember that story? I'm going to go pray. Y'all stay here and pray and watch. Jesus comes back. Why y'all sleeping, man? Get up. Boy, it's Peter, James, and John. Andrew wasn't there. Another time that Jesus took the, two, the three other boys and left Andrew and the crew alone. It's not fair. Poor Andrew. Everyone say, poor Andrew. But there's something special about Andrew. He was the one that, he was the disciple that often would bring people and introduce them personally to the master, which is Jesus. In verse 41 and 42, we read something that was amazing. And just listen, please, we're just teaching on Andrew today. That's what we're doing here. Sorry if I don't scream as much as I normally do on Sundays. So today's not kind of like that. But something amazing happens here. Andrew gets so fixed on what just happened, watch this, that he runs to the first person that he could think of. I, I was telling, I think it was Phil, about Philip Yancey. Oh, no, it wasn't you. I was talking to someone about Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey is an awesome author if you've ever written any of his stuff. 2007, he got in a car accident where he was heading from New Mexico back to his hometown in Denver, Colorado. And as he was driving to Denver, Colorado, he slipped on ice. He fell off a cliff, Philip Yancey. His car flipped five times. He ended, up, he ended up landing the right side up. But his head was on the roof, like you could feel the, the roof on his head. But he fought his way out. And he was able to get, like, his laptop and some books that he had. And he comes outside and he goes, it so happened to be that the, the, the chief of, I don't know what police, whatever, happened to stroll by at that same exact hour, sees me getting my stuff out of the car. And he says, no, no, stay still. I need to stabilize you. So he stabilizes Philip Yancey. They take him to the hospital. Well, Philip Yancey broke his neck. Something amazing. That's not the all part. The all part is this. He says, and then when I get to the hospital, I had one of those straight-up doctors that kind of stink. And he said this. The doctor comes to my, my beth, bedside and he says this, I got good news and bad news. The good news is you did not, um, the, the, didn't affect some part, I don't know, something about your spine. But then he goes, but the bad news is it hit this part of your nerve that we need to have emergency surgery in seven hours and you're probably going to die. So call everyone that you love and let them know what's going on. So Philip Yancey's on his bed and he just goes, okay, thanks for letting me know like that. So what does he do? He starts thinking in his mind, everyone that he loves, and he starts making phone calls. Hey, in seven hours, I need to have an emergency surgery. Hurry up and get here. Um, they say that I might not make it. Chances are very rare that I'm going to live. So he starts calling people. And he, he said something amazing when I, when, in this interview. He says, only three things came to my mind within those seven hours. And he goes, and those are the only three things I was able to think of. And because those are the only three things I was able to think of, now that I'm alive, I've decided since those are the only three things that I was able to think of since when I faced death, those are going to be the only three things that I live for as I'm living. So here are the three things that the only three things that Philip Yancey for seven hours was able to think, knowing that in seven hours he could be dead. Here it is. He says, I have had the privilege and the honor to face death. Not everyone has that and walk away from it. And I'm a different man ever since I've gone through that. He says, the first question was, who do I love? He says, who do I love? The second question was, what have I done with my life? What have I done with my life? And the third question is, am I ready to go? He says, and from now on, because those are the only three questions that I was able to ask myself, those are the only three questions that I now live upon. That's pretty cool, man. 
That's pretty awesome. But I want you to check something out. He says, who do you love? What have you done with your life? And are you ready to go? Here's Andrew. He has an encounter with this Messiah, with this Jesus, and he flips out. Are you, are you guys with me today? And he runs to his big brother, Peter, big bro. You'll never guess what just happened. I met Christ the Messiah. Are you guys with me? And Peter's like, shut up. You're always messing around. You're such a little punk. I'm going to tell mom. And Andrew says, no, bro. Big bro, this is for real. This is Jesus. So what happens? Verse 41 and 42, he says, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I got to introduce you to my big brother. I love him so much. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I know you. You're Peter. And Peter looks at him and says, wow, he knows me. Now that's amazing. What happens here is that Andrew grabs the person that is closest to him and the one that he loves the most. You know what I'm talking about. Something crazy happens to you. What's the first thing you think about? I got to tell this person. It happens. Something happens to me. I got to call Nancy. I got to call Nancy. I got to let Nancy know what's happening. It's the closest person to me. It's the person I love the most in my life. So what I do, I I, I just got to call her. And then sometimes she she gets mad at me. You know, Rigo, I'm working. You know, I can't pick up the phone. I was like, I have a story to tell you. (laughs) But you guys know what I'm talking about. He's responsible for introducing the dominant brother, Peter, to Christ. And then in Mark 1.29, we see how Peter and Andrew, well, let's learn a little bit more about Andrew. They, they even lived together in Capernaum. And we see that they, they had a fishing business together. If you know anything about that, they were fishermen. And, and because they lived in Capernaum, there were two other brothers that lived in that area that were also fishermen. And their names were James and John. So most likely, Peter and Andrew were lifelong friends with these two other boys called the sons of Zebedee, which were fishermen as well. And these boys were named James and John. So here is Peter and Andrew and James and John. Since little boys, they've been boys for life. Boys for life. The four of them shared common spiritual interests. Even before they met Christ, they, they shared things. And you see it in a lot of their, their wordage and how they asked questions to God. They, you could tell they came from the same neighborhood. They took time off their fishing business and and they went in their early years of their life to the wilderness where there was this man named John the Baptist. And and here's Peter and then here's James and Andrew and John, these four brothers who were knit group from Capernaum. I mean, these dudes would would fish. If you're a fisherman here, you know that when you go fishing with someone, there's a bond between you and that person. You you guys, any fishermen, you know what I'm talking about? And and, and they're boys and they're friends and they've been there. You know, they've, they've been in the hot sun together. They've caught the big fishes together and the small fish. I said fishes, sorry, fish together and the small fish uh, together. But then they meet this guy named John the Baptist who was preaching, and then they say, man, this guy's awesome, and they become the disciples of John the Baptist, and then one day they're hanging out with John the Baptist, and he says, there's Jesus, and they leave John the Baptist, and say, bye, John, peace, and they go to be with Jesus. Four, these four guys just stuck together. You could tell they were boys. What other four dudes would leave one of their teachers named John the Baptist together to leave the other teacher, which is named Jesus? It's going to be four close group of friends. By the name of Peter and Andrew and James and John. And all four of them, obviously, in Scripture, you see that they wanted to be leaders. Anyone here want to be a leader? Anyone here want to lead their families to Jesus? Anyone here want to lead their children to Jesus? Huh? 
Anyone here want to lead some friends to Jesus, huh? Anyone here want to lead their whole workplace to Jesus because you just want to see a change in your school. You want to see a change in your workplace. My God, when is my family going to get saved? Anyone here want to lead some people? Listen, for you to lead some people, you need to know what it is to be a leader first. Because guess what? You're going to lead them to Christ. Who are they going to follow? They're going to end up following the person who led them to Christ. And if you're not a leader, they're going to go wherever you go. And when the blind follow the blind, all perish. It's so important that if I'm ever going to lead someone to Christ, I first must be a leader. Because guess what? They're going to always follow the one who led them to Christ. You know who I follow in my life? I follow Jesus, don't get me wrong. But very close to the hip with one man, and it's the man that led me to Jesus. To this day, I'm 31 years old. I don't know how many years it's been since I've been saved already. And I have not let go of his hip. Why? Because as he follows Christ, I'll follow him, man. I'll go to death with him. Why? Because... Because he led me to the most impacting and most important individual ever to come into my life. And his name is Jesus. And how can I let go of someone who introduced me to Jesus Christ? If you're going to lead someone and you can't be a leader, don't lead anyone. It's not going to get them anywhere. It's going to be the blind following the blind. So you see these four brothers, you see these four amigos, and, and it's apparent that they had the same interest, which was, we want to be leaders. And here comes Jesus. And what does Jesus do for about three years? Trains them to be exactly that, leaders. That today, thousands of years later, I wonder if Andrew would have ever known that we will be preaching about him in a town called Hialeah. My Lord, Andrew was the disciple with the least drawn attention and the least attraction to him. You know what's sad about Andrew? In the New Testament, New Testament, his name only appears nine times. And you want to know how they appear? Just briefly, and Andrew. That's it. And Andrew was there. And Jesus did these great things, and Peter, James, and Andrew was there. But then you read Peter, and Peter preached to thousands, and 3,000 got saved. Right? And Thomas said, let me feel your scars. And he touched them and belief came. And you're like, where's Andrew's story? Where's Andrew's story? And I'm like, there's none. He was just there. Like, that sucks. I go, I know. The character of Andrew, he must have known well that when he introduced Jesus to Peter, that Peter, when he entered the company of disciples, that he would probably end up taking charge because he knew his brother's personality and he knew that, man, if I introduce Peter to Jesus, I'm going to be pushed to the side. And my brother's probably going to become Jesus' best friend because that's the way my brother always is. But you know what? Andrew didn't think like that. Andrew says, I still got to tell the person that I love most about this Jesus. Whether I'm pushed to the side or not, he needs to know this guy that I know. I'm going to get somewhere else if you see where I'm going. Andrew tells us so much about his character. Almost everything scripture tells us about Andrew shows that he had the right heart for effective ministry. The right heart to lead people to Christ. He was a man in the background. That's what he was. Andrew was known to be the, the least self-seeking, the most thoughtful disciple out of all of them. He may be better model uh, when, we, when, when pastors think of church leadership. Well, I want a Peter in my church. No, you don't want a Peter in your church. Trust me. You want an Andrew in your church. <laughs> no, you don't want a Peter. You want an Andrew in your church because of his labor, because of his humility. Let me tell you a little something about Andrew's name. Andrew's name, I don't know if Andrew, you know what your name means. Do you know what it means? Andrew's name means manly. It means manly. A manly man. That's a cool name. Manly. I don't even have to tell you what my name means. Rigoberto. It just sounds manly. <laughs> this Cuban manly man. 
a serious name, but I had to take classes just to know how to say my name. But watch this. Here's Andrew's name, meaning manly. And he was careful. He was bold. He was decisive. He was mentored from, guys, this is not a joke. We're talking about, hey, who have you been mentored by? Definitely not John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, baby. Here's Andrew who is mentored from men like John the Baptist and, and, and who's this rugged man and camel's hair and leather belt and eating grasshoppers and, and wild honey. He was a man that was mentored by from some roughneck Christians. I mean, some grimy people. Here's Jesus spitting on mud, making a blind person, blind a person see, but, but very, very important that we realize this. This wasn't just your ordinary, oh, this is Andrew. Poor little guy. No, no. He learned from the best of the best, this Andrew that we're talking about here. So as we read in verse 35 through 40, as I roll and I, and I come down the hill now on my message and I get to my main point, Andrew and John now, they spend the day with the Messiah, and, and Andrew does something that is so amazing. And what is the first thing that Andrew does? He goes and he tells the news, it's too good to keep it to myself. I can never steal all this news from myself. So he went to the one person in the world who he loved who he wanted to make sure that he knew Jesus and they, that, that he would know the same man that he knew. And he led him to him. And that was his brother Peter. So important. So now what? Here's Peter and Andrew. If you know anything about them, they go back to Capernaum. They go back to their fishing career. Jesus visits them again and says, hey, can you do me a favor already? Drop your nets and follow me. Finally, Andrew and Peter drop their nets and they follow Jesus forever. You want to know what forever means? They even die for Jesus. That's what forever means. Let's jump into this stuff. Ready? First thing I want you to know is this. Andrew, he saw the value of individual people and the value of insignificant gifts. What, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. If you could look at with me in John chapter 12, and then we're going to jump to John chapter 6. Look at John 12 with me, if you can. And then put your eyeballs there on verse 20. Are we there? It says, now therefore there were certain Greeks who came up to worship at the feast. And 21 says, but they came to a man by the name of what, guys? Philip was one of the disciples. Know that, okay? Philip was a disciple. So they came to Philip. And they asked Philip, they said, sir, where can we find Jesus? Where can we see Jesus? Why? Why, why would they want to see Jesus? Guys, listen, listen. Jesus was very famous during this time. Jesus was very popular this time. And guess who they saw? They saw Philip who used to roll with Jesus, who rolled with Jesus. And, and because he rolled with Jesus, hey, who better to ask than the one who rolls with Jesus? So they go to Philip and they say, Philip, where can we see Jesus? And then look at verse 23. Guys, come on, just, just check this. And, verse 22, sorry. So Philip comes and he tells who? What? Why? You guys never noticed that scripture? You guys just read right through it, huh? He comes and he tells Andrew, why, Philip? You're one of Jesus' boys. But Philip comes and says, and he tells Andrew. And he tells Andrew what? He says, Andrew. And guys, what does it say next? Are we there? Are we in the next verse? I'm lost. That's awesome. All right, here we go. So Philip comes and he tells Andrew. And then in turn, Andrew and Philip tells who? 
tells Jesus. I love this. I love this. I love this. Let me tell you why I love this. Because Philip couldn't introduce anyone to Jesus. So he goes to the one and says, my God, oh my God, oh my God, these people want to see Jesus and I don't know if Jesus is going to like that. I don't know if Jesus is going to get bothered. Like, hey, who do you think you are to bring people to me? Don't you know I'm about something else? And, 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 and Philip was so bugged out, like, I don't know what to do. I'm nervous about this. And, and what would Jesus think about me? Maybe he won't take me to the next miracle with him. And maybe I won't go to heaven with him. And maybe all the promises. And Philip is all messed up in his brain that if you read the scripture between the lines, what does he do? He says, I know who will do it. I know who's never scared to introduce someone to Jesus. He could care less. That's what the outcome is. And he runs up to Andrew and he says, Andrew, there are some people here that want to meet Jesus. And then Andrew, being so cool with it, says, all right, cool. Bring them. Philip, come with them. And he runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we got some visitors. I love this. And then Jesus conversates with them. And Jesus answers and says, well, the hour hasn't come that the Son of Man shall be glorified. You could almost picture Andrew like, man, I always put my foot in my mouth. I'm just trying to introduce people to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's had to be a reason why the Bible doesn't give us details of why Philip doesn't tell Jesus, but he goes to grab Andrew who eventually tells Jesus with him. Because there was something different about Andrew that the other disciples didn't have, and it was this. He didn't care whether you were a Jew or Greek, whether you were a ruler or a servant. Whoever you were, you needed to meet this man, the Messiah, the Christ, and his name is Jesus. And if, if I'm going to get rebuked, I'm going to get rebuked. But I'm not going to stop anyone from knowing the Jesus that I know. And everyone else didn't know what to do with this Jesus. But Andrew always knew what to do. Though you don't see him healing people. And though you don't see him saving 3,000 people. And though you don't see him casting out a legion of demons. Come on. And though you don't see him planting churches all over Africa and all over the new world. I'll tell you one thing that you see in the Bible that Andrew is doing. He's introducing people to Jesus. What? Yes. He's setting the stage. He's setting the stage. As a matter of, go to John 6 before I get carried away. As a matter of fact, in the book of John chapter 6, I don't know if you ever saw this before. After these things, Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee, verse 2. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw signs that he performed, verse 3. And Jesus went up to the mountain there. He sat with his disciples, verse 4. The Passover was near, verse 5. Jesus lifted up his eyes, saw the great multitude coming towards him. And he asked, who, guys? Everyone say it with me. One, two, three. Philip. And he says, Philip, where do I buy bread? And Philip, where are these people going to eat? And verse 6. And this he said to test him, for he knew what he would do. And then verse 7, come on guys, listen. Philip answers Jesus and he says, hey, the money that we do have is not sufficient. It's not enough for them. Every one of them, and it's not going to be enough. We have too little. Look at verse 8. One of his disciples named. You got to be kidding me, Andrew's going to do this now. There was one disciple named Andrew. Oh, by the way, Andrew, comma, say the rest. You got to be kidding. Leave him alone. Stop picking on the poor kid. Stop picking on the poor kid. He says, oh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Yeah, him. Oh, that Andrew. Yeah, just like the kitchen yesterday. I'm preaching on Andrew. Who? Andrew. So here's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and watch what happens says, Jesus, come on, you guys got to follow this because I'm going to close off soon. There's a lad here. There's a lad here. 
who has five pieces of bread and has two fish. And Jesus says, make everyone sit down. Andrew, go get them. Wow. What's so special about this? I don't get it. Back to my point. Andrew saw the value of individual people and the value of insignificant gifts. What happens here? All disciples are lost. They're all confused. Where are we going to find food? 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 Judas is even there too, the treasurer. He's looking at the money. He's like, Philip, tell him we don't have enough money. And Philip comes back. I just talked to Judas. There's no more money in the treasury. He's, and, you know, Jesus is like, he's stealing money, suckers. If you guys only knew, Judas is stealing money. <laughs> it's all right. He's coming soon. And, and all these things are going on. All these things are happening. And, and Philip's bad tripping like, we don't have enough. And then Andrew just kind of steps in and says, Lord, can, can I say something? And he's like, yes, Andrew. He's like, there's this kid over there. I don't know what it means to you, but I know that there's a kid. Number one, he's a kid. Come on, how many of us look down at kids and say they can't do anything? Some of the greatest things that happen in Scripture were done by kids. There's just a kid here. Oh, and not only is there just a kid, he just has five pieces of bread and two fish. That's all. All disciples lost and confused, but it was Andrew who took the young boy to Jesus. Listen to me. No other disciple thought about the kid. One disciple thought about the kid. Why? Watch this. Because Andrew was not fixed on being the miracle man. Andrew was just fixed on setting the stage for God to create his miracle. My God. When I, don't, when, I, when I go and preach people to Jesus, it's not to make sure that they come to my church. When I go to preach people, to, when I preach Jesus to people, it's that they will come to know who Jesus is. I don't preach to people so that they could follow me only and say, hey, you, now you got to stick by me and you got to do whatever I say and I lord over you. How many scary Christians are like that in this world today? And if you're in this church, this is not the church for you to lord over people. But instead he says this, I'm just going to set the stage for a miracle that I'm not going to do. So Andrew takes a young boy to Jesus and something in him, listen to this, seemed to understand. I need you to follow this because I'm, I'm really, I promise you, I'm really going to wrap it. And no gift is insignificant in the hands of Jesus. I need you to write that down in your notes. What a lesson we learn here that so little could be used to accomplish so much. And what a testimony to the power of Christ. Now what's going on here is that Andrew is setting the stage for a miracle. Andrew is doing something amazing. And as I'm reading and I look at the life of Andrew, I'm like, my goodness, Andrew understood what it was all about. It's significant that these men approached Philip earlier on. It's amazing that Andrew introduces the little man um, to Jesus. Why, in the story of Philip, why didn't he just take him to Jesus himself? Perhaps um, Philip was timid. Maybe he wasn't confident enough. Maybe he, he didn't have this strong relationship with Jesus. Maybe Philip just became all confused about the proper protocol. How do I get to Jesus and how should I tell Jesus? Or, or it's possible that Philip uh, wasn't even sure Jesus would even want to see them. So Philip knew one thing for sure. He said, if I just let Andrew know, Andrew could introduce individuals to Jesus. That I know for sure. That I know, and Andrew was not confused. Listen, listen to me, guys. Andrew wasn't confused when someone wanted to see Jesus. He, guess what? He, guess what? He just brought them to Jesus. I ain't got no questions, no protocol. I'm just going to bring them to Jesus. He understood that Jesus would want to meet anyone who wanted to meet him. 
And, and, and he, would, he would not go ahead and, and he would not back down from these lessons. He, he, would, he would introduce people uh, to Jesus. He was not at this time timid and scared. He was going to do this. He was going to take care of this. He was going to introduce people to his Jesus. I think I shared this story to you guys hundreds of years ago. Feels like it was hundreds of years. We've only been alive for five years. Have you ever heard of D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody here. Anyone ever hear of him? True story. Check this out. A man by the name of Edward Kimball. I'm going to read the story to you. His name is not even important in the history of church history. He was a Sunday school teacher. And just listen to this story. He was a Sunday school teacher who eventually led D.L. Moody to Christ. I don't know if you remember this story. I shared it a long time ago. He went one afternoon to the Boston shoe store where the 19-year-old D.L. Moody was working. He cornered him in the stock room and he introduced him to Jesus, this Kimball. Well, Kimball was the opposite of what would be a bold evangelist. He was timid. He was soft-spoken. He went to the shoe shop, it says here, frightened, trembling, unsure of whether he had enough courage to confront this young man at the go- with the gospel. Because if you, if you study Moody's early years, Moody was a crude man. He was, he was illiterate. So the thought of just speaking to him about Christ had Kimball trembling in his boots. It says, Kimball recalled the incident years later. Moody had begun to attend his Sunday school class, and it was obvious that Moody was totally untaught and ignorant about the Bible, Kimball said. So here is Kimball's writings about his interaction with D.L. Moody. I decided to speak to D.L. Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton Shoe Store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during business hours. I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. That when I went away that the other clerks might ask who I was. And when they learned, they might taunt and make fun of Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. Don't lose track here. While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. And then, when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. Anyone ever been there? So Kimball finds D.L. Moody and he's working in the stock room. He's wrapping up the, the shoes. And Kimball said that he spoke with limping words. The, 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 the Moody, can, can I have a word with you? He later said, I could never remember just what I did say. Something about Christ and his love, that was all. He admitted it was a weak appeal. But Moody then and there gave his heart to Jesus. Of course, D.L. Moody was used mightily by the Lord as an evangelist, both in America and in England. His ministry made a massive impact on both sides of the Atlantic, spanning most of the second half of the 19th century. Tens of thousands testified that they came to Christ because of his ministry. I'm talking about who? D.L. Moody. Among Moody's converts were people like C.T. Studd, great pioneer missionary, Wilbur Chapman, who himself became a well-known evangelist. Moody uh, founded Moody Bible Institute where thousands of missionaries, evangelists, and other Christian workers have been trained during the past century, sent out to the world. All of that began with one man who was faithful to introduce another man to Jesus, my God. And that's the way that Andrew was. Andrew was usually the individual who seemed to minister in a one-on-one kind of way. A person that we would love to have in, even in this church today. 
See, too many Christians think that because they can't speak in front of large groups or any kind of group, they don't have leadership gifts and they can't evangelize and they're not responsible to lead anyone to Jesus. But, but nowhere in the scripture do I read anything big or, or popular or amazing about Andrew. He was good at one thing, one-on-one, one-on-one conversation saying, I don't know if you met him yet, but let me introduce you to Jesus. I need to set the stage for a miracle and the miracle is salvation to your soul. And here he is in John chapter 6, thousands of people are hungry. And he says, Jesus, there's a lad who I could introduce you to. (laughs) Who better to introduce Jesus than the introducer himself by the name of Andrew. And he introduces the lad to the man. And he introduces the man to the lad. He sets the stage for one of the greatest miracles ever recorded in Jesus' ministry. The feeding of the 5,000. Everyone always says, if it wasn't for that boy with those five fish to live, the feeding of the 5,000 would have never happened. Everyone always says, if it wasn't, but how about if I change that on you? It says, if it was never for Andrew introducing him to Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 would have never taken place. Pastor Rigo, I'm not called to go up there and preach on that pulpit. And I'm not called to stand in front of thousands of people in my workplace or hundreds or maybe tens and tell them all that they love Jesus. No. But you could grab one person at a time. And you could introduce them to Jesus. And you might be amazed what that one person might do for the glory of God. You know, I wish the writers of the gospel would have followed that little kid home. Gotten his address 15 years later. Written about him and what came about him. Who knows who that kid became. Who knows what happened to his life. But I could almost promise you this. I'm almost sure that that young lad was never the same again. Because of what he saw, who he saw, and who he met. And it all happened through Andrew connecting one man to the man. That's big. That is big. As Danny comes up and we get ready to close here. I'm going to read this to you really quick. Andrew is the very picture of all those who labor quietly in humble places. Not with eye service or... As men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God, as Ephesians tells us. Listen to this, church. Andrew was not an impressive pillar like Peter. I mean, you think of Peter, you think what? Bold. I say Peter to you. Boom, you think walks on water. Right? I say Andrew to you. You're like, Andrew? You're going to preach on Andrew? I ask you, who's the character that you most resemble? And you guys would all say David and Paul and Moses, how about you all become some Andrews? Just set the stage for Christ to do a miracle. You don't need the eye service. You don't need man's glory. You need Jesus just to do a miracle. Introduce some people. He wasn't like James and John. He was a humble stone. He was one of those rare people who was willing to take second place just to be the place of support. He didn't mind being hidden as long as the work was being done. I'm cool. I'll chew in the background. But hey, I'll never forget that I'm the one that introduced him to Jesus. Can you imagine this? Come on, come on. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Screaming and 3,000 people, I need Jesus. Follow me. Everyone get in the water at the count of three. Everyone go in. One, two, three. Dunks 3,000 people in the water. That's the longest baptism in church history, man. One by one, 3,000 people are getting baptized. And Andrew's not doing nothing on the day of Pentecost. He's not baptizing people. He's not preaching. 
He's standing in the background watching all this happen. 3,000 people are getting saved. And he says, wow, I introduced that man, Peter, to Jesus. Hey, you guys get so fixed on Peter being this great man of God. But who's the greater man? Peter? Or the one that was in the background seeing it all happen, saying, I introduced him to Jesus. And look what he's doing for Jesus now. He wasn't the one preaching. He wasn't the one baptizing. But he was in the background receiving the benefits and the glory, saying, wow. All because I introduced him to Jesus. Who's the greater man? This is a lesson that we could learn well. A lesson from his life. Andrew was the person that Ephesians 6 tells us about. Slaves, you obey, you obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Ephesians 6, 5, and you you serve them sincere as you would serve Christ. Amen. Try to please them at all time. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Your, your, your boss gets you mad. Who does he think? He, hey, shut up and just please your boss. Be humble. Stop causing war at work. Serve him. If he's about to fire you, buy him a super meal at McDonald's. Big Mac, I don't know. Serve him. Try to please them at all times. Not just when they're watching you as slaves of Christ, but do the will of God with all of your heart. That was Andrew. Work with enthusiasm, church, Ephesians 6, 7. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do. Whether we are slaves or free, you do it all for the glory of God. You do it all for the glory of God. John MacArthur says it. In an awesome way, when he talks about Andrew, was he slighted? No, he was privileged. He was the first to hear that Jesus was the Lamb of God, Andrew. He was the first to follow Christ. He was part of the inner circle. He was given intimate access to Christ, Andrew. His name will be inscribed along with the names of the other apostles on the foundations of the eternal city, the New Jerusalem. Oh man, that's pretty cool. I'm going to walk around the New Jerusalem and one pillar is going to say Andrew and we're all going to look around and say, which one's Andrew? And you probably won't even tell in heaven which one he is. He'll be in the background saying, that pillar has my name all because for a lifetime I introduced people to Jesus. So Jesus decided to write my name on a pillar. I didn't do anything big. I didn't preach to thousands. I didn't heal the leper. I didn't heal the cancerous. I just introduced people and my name is written in the New Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, that's all I want right now from my people. I want them to be stage setters. People that would set the stage for a miracle so that they would see my hand move. You don't have to get so worked up about it because you don't have the power to do it anyways. Listen, set the stage. Let God be glorified. Set the stage. MacArthur says it. Best of all, he had a whole lifetime of privilege doing what he loved to do best, which was introducing individuals to the Lord. Thank God for people like Andrew. They're quiet individuals, laboring faithfully, giving insignificant sacrificial gifts, accomplished the most here from the Lord. They don't receive much recognition, but they don't seek it. They only want to hear the Lord say, well done, come good, faithful servant, well done. 
Andrew's legacy is the example that he left to show us that in effective ministry, it's often the little things that count. The individual people, the insignificant gifts, the service that looks unworthy. God delights to use such things like that. I don't have much, Pastor Rico, to give to the Lord. Well, you would be amazed how much of the small things that you have that are going to do great things for God's kingdom. Set the stage, church. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. We know it. We've preached it here all the time. He chooses the foolish things to put to shame the wise. Weak things to put to shame the things which are mighty. Base things of this world and things which are despised God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence can I ask the church a question can you be a stage setter can you set the stage stop worrying about being like a Peter I want to be like Peter. Listen. Be like Andrew. Set the stage. Set the stage. And let God do the miracle. Introduce. That's it. And let God do the miracle. Amen. If you could stand with me in reverence. If you get ready to pray. close your eyes and examine your heart you know who you are you know what you're doing you know who you are you know where you stand if there's anyone here that heard the story of Andrew and says I want to be an Andrew I want to be someone who sets the stage I don't want to be the miracle worker. I want to set the stage for a miracle. I just want God to be glorified. Hey, like John the Baptist, just a voice. Just a voice. Like Andrew, just, just a person who introduces people to Jesus. That's it. Lord, sometimes we get so caught up with all the emotional things, you know. Lord, I want to get into deliverance. Lord, I want to speak in new tongues. And Lord, and sometimes you're just like, man, shush up and just introduce people to me. And watch me do miracles. Watch me do miracles. Just don't worry about all these crazy things and just watch me do miracles today. Lord, I want to walk on water. And Jesus is like, no, just introduce me to the lad. I'm saving the walking on water for someone else. Be happy with just introducing people to Jesus. That's where your ministry will feel its greatest fulfillment and enjoyment. Introduce people to Jesus. Father, transform our hearts. Let us set the stage. Let us set the stage for your miracle. Use us to do great things all by simple service.
things like introducing you and introducing someone to you. I pray that you would transform and move in all the hearts of your people here today. So today, Lord, I pray as Andrew loved to do best with every eye closed as we close off. Is there anyone here that does not know Jesus today? I want to introduce you to Jesus. If Andrew was preaching, that's probably what he would do. Hey, I want to just introduce you to Jesus today. With every eye closed today, no one's looking. Do you want to be introduced to Jesus today? If that's you today, can you just raise your hand and say, I've never met this Jesus. Is there anyone here that maybe has never done that? And today I want to give you the opportunity to meet Jesus. Just like Andrew gave the opportunity to others. Anyone here or everyone already knows Jesus maybe. Amen. Be that person. Father, we thank you. Let us be those who set the stage. Let us be those who just introduce. Let us be those that just serve. Lord, make us even more like Andrew. Why not? That you would have all the glory. That you would have all the honor. That you would have all the praise. Let us have an awesome Sunday today with our friends and our families. And be glorified in all that we do today. In Jesus Christ we pray. And together, church, we say, Amen.